Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Do you have a lifestyle of doing what's right in all the various aspects of your life? Are you a disciplined Christian who looks to please Jesus even in the hard things? Let's open our Bible to Romans chapter 12 and study these incredible qualities that our Lord has given us to practice every day of our lives. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. I hope everyone's doing well. And uh, today we're going to finish Romans chapter 12. Um, we'll be discussing verses 9 through 21. This is an amazing list here. Um, in verses 9 to 21, we have around 23 exhortations that the Apostle Paul gives us that are here in the Word of God exhortations and actions and qualities that that we need to walk in as Christians, as those who have received Jesus Christ as our Savior. He gives us these qualities that, that we need to practice in our lives. I was, I was, I was going over this this morning with uh, my brother Tom. He's an elder at Kingdom Discipleship and and wow, I just got to say, I just, uh, I, I just find room for, for meaningful improvement in, in really all of them. It was interesting. I was talking to my wife, May, before I left the house and, uh, to come record. And it was, I guess it was around 10 years ago or so when, when I was talking to her about, about these qualities in different parts in the Bible and, and she had told me that she had never really looked at them individually. You know, there, when, she, when she read through parts of the scripture like this, she said she always kind of had the, the attitude that said, yeah, you know, I do those things okay. Sure, I can get better. But, uh, you know, really, we all can get better at these things. And so never did she really look at them individually and examine herself or practice introspection regarding them individually and to really go before the Lord and to see how she's walking these things out. Like I said, she, she confessed that she always thought, she, you know, she, she does them okay. She doesn't do them perfect, but, uh, you know, no one's perfect. And so, and I think that's the attitude probably for most of us. Um, but when we come to points of scripture like this, where it gives us a, a list of ways that we should be behaving and acting and, and a list of ways we should not be behaving and acting. We do want to look at them individually. Um, and we want to examine our heart and our lifestyle in light of them. And then we want to make the corrections. We want to repent. Um, we're certainly going to need Jesus to help us to get better at these things. So I'm going to go ahead and pray. We'll invite the Lord in. And then I'll just go ahead and read them. And we'll, we'll get right into it. Father, we do thank you for this time. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for this incredible chapter in Romans. And Father, we, uh, we thank you for these verses, verses 9 to 21. Father, we thank you for these qualities, these virtues, these exhortations that we are to be practicing. And we thank you for these things that we're told that we should not be practicing as believers in Jesus Christ. Um, Holy Spirit, I ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. 
Lord Jesus, I ask you to convict us, Lord, and to help us and to be excited about, about growing in these qualities, growing in these virtues, and, and growing to stay away from things that, uh, that we're not to be doing. So, Father, we thank you and we praise you. We commit this time into your hands now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Verse 9 to 21. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, verse 9, it opens up with, uh, with these four incredible words. Love must be sincere. I've said this before. There is, there is no more important quality for us as Christians than sincerity. To mean what we say. To live our lives uh, without pretense, without hypocrisy. Uh, to be genuine. To be authentic. It's the first quality here, and it's, it's really a part of all of them. And you notice he starts it out with love, the single most important quality. When somebody asked Jesus what's the most important thing for them to do, Jesus said the most important thing for you to do is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second most important is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And your neighbor is who's ever near you right now. So love is the single most important quality and virtue that we can practice. It's a part of every virtue. But it must be sincere love. Because if it's not sincere, it's, it's not genuine, it's not authentic, which means it's not love. But it's important we recognize that, that this has nothing to do with your feelings, right? We often get confused and we say, well, you know, I really don't feel love for that person. Just because you don't feel it don't mean, doesn't mean that you shouldn't act in a loving way. Love must be sincere, right? It must be genuine. It must be true. And again, this is not based on how you feel about a particular situation or a particular person. The point of it is that you're sincerely going to love them as the Bible tells you to love them. There are four types of love in the Bible. Agape love is a love where we love people not because of them, but in spite of them. It's an unconditional love. It's not based on, 
on any conditions. It's not based on circumstances. And it's the way that that Jesus loves us. Uh, he doesn't love us because of us. He, he loves us generally in spite of us. And the Bible is clear that, that when he gave his life for us, we were a very ungodly and sinful people. Jesus didn't give his life for a beautiful, wonderful, incredible, loving humanity. He gave his life for us as people when we were just terrible sinners. And we need to, to love one another in the same way. So love must be sincere. And so in any aspect of our lives where we're living in hypocrisy, where we're living in pretense, where we're disingenuine, where we're fake, where we're not real, we, we really want to repent and just say, you know, Lord, I'm sorry that there's just different areas of my life where I really do kind of put on a show where I'm not sincere. Um, help me, Lord Jesus, to, to walk in sincere love wherever I am. He goes on to say, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. These should be two sides of the same coin. So a point my brother Tom made this morning when we were going through this. Oftentimes as, uh, as Christians in the body of Christ in church today, um, we are trying to, to often do what is good, but sometimes we really don't hate what is evil. You know, sometimes we're actually willing to consistently walk in, in ungodly ways and ungodly words in many ways, right? In our thoughts and our words, uh, we can often gossip. We speak poorly about people. We need to, we need to just hate what is evil. When the Bible says something is wrong, you want to consistently grow and you may, may even go to Jesus and say, Lord, help me to hate this evil, whatever it is, whatever it is in your life that you're struggling with, ask the Lord to help you to hate what's wrong. And obviously, it says to cling, to hold on, to grasp, to hug, to just embrace what is good in every aspect of your life. And in all of these qualities, again, individually, there'll be some that you do better than others. There'll be some that we don't do very well at all. We want to ask the Lord to help us uh, to do these things better. And again, this is the, the result of the Christian life. Uh, none of these things do anything to help save us. Doing any of these things doesn't help us go to heaven. None of these things will take away our sin. It's important for us to remember we are a, a hopeless, sinful people, and our only hope to have our sins forgiven and to go to heaven is to put our full trust and confidence completely in what Jesus has done for us at the cross. That's the only way our sins are forgiven. We cannot add to that. Nothing we do adds to that. Now, for those of us that have done this, have received Jesus as our Lord, have prayed, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and be the Lord of my life and save me from my sin. For those of us that are currently Christians, we want these things to be our lifestyle. We understand how much love Jesus has shown us, and therefore we want to live in these ways that we might be pleasing to him. So walking in these qualities ought to be the desire of our heart so that we can consistently grow to be pleasing to Jesus and our Heavenly Father. But none of these things help save us. None of these things cause him to love us more. Um, we want to make sure that, that we're not walking in a, in a performance-based Christianity. We want to make sure that we don't walk in, in legalism, so to speak. 
I was uh, I had a I was having lunch with my brother Jason yesterday, and um, and he understands these things well. And he was he was speaking about areas of his life where where he consistently has to battle against these things, and he's very well informed on it. Um, but a performance based Christianity is where you're doing things because you kind of want to you want to show off to God and others. Legalism. You remember when Jesus said to the Pharisees, "You do everything for men to see." You're not doing it because you want to be pleasing to your father. You're not doing it because you love him. You're not doing it simply because it's right, but you're doing it with a motive to show off because you, you want others to think well of you. My, uh, my daughter, Kristen and, um, and the man that she's dating, Nathan are, are, uh, are going through a pair of books where they can, they can learn to be more disciplined Christians. And her and I were talking about the, the difference between discipline, being a, a, a disciple of Jesus who, who walks a disciplined life in Christ, and the difference between someone who's disciplined and the someone who's legalistic or religious. And again, uh, discipline is what we do when, when we don't feel like it, right? Uh, we have to discipline ourselves to do things whether we want to or, or whether we don't. And that's the case with anything in life. Anything we want to be good at, anything we want to improve at, we're going to have to practice discipline, right, Scott? Whether it's in tennis, you know, whether it's in finances, um, whether it's in, in tidiness, whether it's in punctuality, you're going to have to discipline yourself. If you have a hard time being on time, you're going to have to discipline yourself to set your alarm. You're going to have to discipline yourself to leave your house on time. Anything we want to succeed at is going to take discipline. And I'll say again, I'm defining discipline is what we do, whether we feel like it or whether, whether we don't feel like it, whether we desire it or whether we don't, because it's right. That's how we ought to look at all of these 23 or so qualities and virtues, is we're going to do them whether we want to or whether we don't. That's what discipline is. Again, legalism is when you're doing things with a motive because you want to perform for people, because you want to show off for people, or even to God. Or when you're trying to do it to get God to love you more. There's nothing you can do to get Jesus to love you more than he does right now. He loves you unconditionally in an agape love, an unconditional love. Now, when you do these things, he is more pleased. Like any parent, right? When your child behaves appropriately, you don't love them more. You can't love them more. But you are more pleased with them when they're obedient and, and doing what you've told them to do. And it's the same with our Heavenly Father. His love for us never changes. But when we labor to discipline ourselves to live in these ways, he is more pleased with us. And it does help us grow and mature in our relationship with him and with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. So hopefully that makes sense. And we want to live disciplined lives where we're, where we're practicing these things um, regardless of, of our feelings. And we're doing them simply because we know it's right, because it's what the Bible says to do. And when our motive is wrong, it doesn't mean you stop doing it. We just go to Jesus and say, Lord, forgive me. I don't, I don't want to do things with a performance-based mentality. I don't want to do things with a, with a legalistic or religious mentality. I just want to do them because I love you, Father. And, and even if you don't feel love for your father or you don't want to do it out of love, Father, I'm just going to do it because it's right, because it's what the word of God says to do. And so, again, if we find that our motive is wrong, it doesn't mean we stop doing these things. 
It just simply means we repent and ask the Lord to help us to, to consistently do them with the right heart. Um, thank you, Lord Jesus. Verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. I think if you practice the second half of the verse, you will do the first half. If you honor one another above yourself, you will be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Um, we ought to have a devotion to, to one another as Christians in the body of Christ. We ought to have a, a true brotherly or sisterly love for one another. Um, that we love, we love each other like we're family. Now, to honor one another above yourself, I mean, this is, a, uh, this, is, this is just a hard thing. I was confessing to Tom that, man, it's just, uh, it's hard for me to walk in these qualities. Oftentimes, I, uh, man, I confess most oftentimes, I, I like my preferences. I prefer what I prefer. I like what I like. And my likes are a priority to me. But we ought to be living our lives where we honor one another above ourselves, where we give preference to one another where you know in every aspect of our lives if we can be a blessing by you know by uh by fulfilling another person's preference even at the expense of our own we do it that's important to understand we would never do this if the other person's preference is sinful or wrong in any way but you know whatever it is one person's like this food so you you make an exception and eat that food instead of what you want and all the little things right um, honor one another above yourselves, Lord Jesus. Um, Lord, we, we need help in this. I certainly do. Um, help us, Lord, to begin today to look for ways we can honor one another above ourselves and our own desires and preferences. Verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Um, this is an incredible verse for most of us as Christians. We we are lacking in zeal for Jesus. And so again, this is another one where we want to ask him to help us. Lord, help me to truly begin to have more zeal for you, Jesus, and for your kingdom. Um, and to have more zeal to serve you, Jesus. You notice it says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I want to make a point here that I think is an important point. But I, and I want it to be clear. Our zeal needs to be for Jesus, okay? Oftentimes, we can, we can mistake zeal for Jesus for zeal for, for religion or zeal for church. It says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. It's a wonderful thing to, to, to have zeal um, for church, to have zeal to go to church, and to have zeal to serve the church. That's a good thing. But really what we want to grow into is where our zeal is to serve Christ. Now, of course, these things overlap, right? When you're, when you're serving in church and doing things at church, you, you are hopefully doing them with a heart for Christ, right? We should not, none of us, and it's an area of repentance for all of us as leaders, really all of us, um, we should not have a zeal for our church or for our ministries. Our zeal should be for Jesus Christ as leaders. Our zeal should be the advancement of the kingdom of God, not the advancement of our church or our ministry. So a good way to check yourself is if, if 90 or 95% of everything you do 
is around your church or in your church. And when you're not around or in your church, you're really not doing much of anything for Christ, then you probably have an imbalance in your zeal, meaning your zeal is more for church than it is for Jesus. I want to say again, it's it's wonderful to do things in church and to serve at church. Um, and again, you can be serving Jesus at church, but if that's the only place you really do it, then you you don't have a spiritual fervor for Jesus as much as you do for church. And again, there's there's this fine line. We want everything we do to be done for Christ. And of course, um, we want to do that while serving in church. But again, someone who has a, uh, has a, a fervor to serve Jesus is doing it in season and out of season. They're doing it when they're, when they're at church and when they're not at church. And for most of us, you know, uh, who serve at church, we may be at church two or three hours a week, but the other 165 hours a week we're not. And so to know that you have a spiritual fervor and a zeal for Jesus and to serve Jesus would be that, you know, not only on Sunday morning, not only on Wednesdays, not only when you're at Bible study, but you are consistently throughout your days serving Jesus and talking about Jesus and spending time with Jesus and being in a devotion with Jesus and looking for ways to be a blessing to others and to talk about him when you're out and when you're at work and when you're at lunch or if you're at the coffee shop or Starbucks and um, you just have a zeal for Jesus and his kingdom. And again, and uh, it's it's a it's a it's a fine line. Uh, you remember we did a, a teaching on um, on a, on Revelation chapter two um, in the Church of Ephesus, and Jesus told them that that they had forsaken their first love, and our first love needs to be Jesus and a zeal for Jesus and a fervor for Jesus that really manifests itself in serving Jesus. And the interesting part about this church is he had just previously given them several compliments about how well they were doing in serving the church and how well they were doing in doing the deal. But they were doing that, but they had lost their, their focus on Jesus Christ. Jesus needs to be our first love in, in everything. So where we look at that and we see that, let's you know, we just, we just repent and we say, you know, Lord, I, I thank you that I, that I'm part of a good church. I thank you that I get to serve at church, but Lord, Lord, help me to, to get back to having a zeal for you and your kingdom. Um, whether I'm at church and especially when I'm not at church, Lord, help me to have a heart to serve you, um, wherever I am, Lord, to think about you and to talk about you. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Help us, Lord Jesus, to have a true spiritual fervor for you and to serve you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Um, again, just thinking about these things, this is not easy. I've confessed before that it's very difficult for me to be patient in affliction when there are difficulties in their lives, whatever they are, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, whether it's financial, whether it's relational, if you have just difficulty in different relationships, it's just hard to be patient, Lord. But the best way to be joyful in hope and patient in affliction is to be faithful in prayer. We ought to be spending time in prayer throughout our waking hours. If you're awake 16 hours a day, 
You could talk to Jesus 25 different times. Doesn't have to be for 10 minutes every time. I mean, you could talk to him for 15 seconds. You can pray for 30 seconds. You can pray for a minute. You can consistently talk to Jesus throughout the day. You can talk to your heavenly father and just, just, just thank him for his mercy and goodness on your life. You know, just throughout your day, be faithful in prayer. And again, this is going to take discipline because I don't feel like praying all the time, right? I like having my mind on sometimes things that are fun or whether it's whatever our hobbies are. Often our mind is consistently on our problems, but let's be faithful in prayer and, and that'll help us uh, to be patient in affliction and to, and to truly be joyful in hope. Um, and ask the Lord to help you in these things. Again, remember I said we'll need help in all of them. Lord Jesus, help us to be joyful in hope and patient in affliction and uh, and help us to be people who are disciplined, to be faithful in prayer throughout our day. Verse 13, share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. If you're someone today who's been blessed, and, I'm, and most of, uh, of our listeners are people who who have extra. Most of our listeners are not the needy. It says share with God's people who are in need. If, if, if you're part of the body of Christ today and, and you've been blessed and you're in a good situation, you want to consistently be looking where you can share with people who, who don't have uh, the same situation you do who, you know, who are struggling. You want to consistently look for areas in the body of Christ, in the church, um, and outside the church where you can share. If Again, if you're in, where you're prospering, where you're blessed, where you have extra and finances and everything else, your life is good. You want to consistently be someone who's looking to share with those who don't have things as well as you do. That ought to be a staple of our lives. Practice hospitality. Hospitality is, again, to welcome people and to help people and to be a blessing to people um, wherever you can, uh, particularly those who, who, who are needy and don't have the same situation you do. That ought to be a staple of your life. There ought to be areas every day of our lives we're looking to share with those who are in need and to be hospitable. And again, hospitality, again, certainly would mean opening our home but we practice hospitality and helping people in, in any way they need it. Now, this is not without accountability. This doesn't mean in, enable people. Okay, so obviously we need to have accountability. Um, but you just want to have, have a habit of sharing and being a blessing where the Lord has blessed you. Self-explanatory, really. Verse 14 is hard. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Uh, is there anyone that does this well? When someone speaks well of you, you actually want to go out of your, your way to speak well of them. But what if someone doesn't speak well of you? You still want to go out of your way to speak well of them. Someone is consistently bringing up your poor qualities. Bring up their good qualities. Has anyone even heard of anyone like this? Right? Lord Jesus, to say we need help in this would be the understatement of the century. Lord, we ask you to help us to begin to have a heart like you do, Lord. Um, Father, it says that you know you you make your son 
rise on the evil and the good, and you're a blessing to all people. Father, help us to bless those who persecute us. And, and, and generally, you're not going to have to go any farther than your own home, your own family. Oftentimes, our spouses persecute us, our children. Uh, as parents, we may persecute our children. But wherever you are, whether you're at work, whether you're at home, uh, be a blessing. Someone is being selfish towards you, you be selfless toward them. And never are we more like Jesus Christ than when we'll do this. Bless and do not curse. The, the natural urge that comes to us when we're mistreated or misspoken about is to mistreat and to, uh, and to, and to talk poorly about people. You know, biblically speaking, if you study your Bible, there is never a cause. Listen to this. There is never a cause for you to speak poorly about someone outside their presence. It's amazing, right? Now, I'm not saying, hey, if, if, uh, if you go to your pastor or a mentor or a mature Christian and you're frustrated with a situation, um, yes, okay? If you're talking to your wife or husband and you say, man, I'm just in a struggling situation with this person, um, it's one thing to share with someone, but we shouldn't need to vent. Venting is not a biblical principle, okay? I just need to vent. That's just an excuse that I need to just talk about all the bad that's done to me, all the wrong that's done to me. I just, I just need to vent. Help us, Lord Jesus. We need to repent of every time we ever vented, right? Every time we just went off and just had to throw that person under the bus and just talk about all that they'd done to me or how this person treated me. Lord, we need a lot of help. <laughs> Forgive us, Lord Jesus. Help us to be mature people, Lord. And when someone is sharing with you the wrong done to them, you don't want to exacerbate it, right? If someone's telling you this person did this to me, this person did this to me, this person, you want to be, you want to be loving and, and consistently counter that with, yeah, you know, you just need to bless them. You just need to forgive them. And we want to break ourselves of this awful habit of consistently needing to to, to talk poorly about people because we've been treated wrong. Um, and, and here in a few, few verses, we're going we're gonna to see that very clearly. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Are, are you happy? Do you rejoice when people are blessed, even if you're not? When someone gets a blessing, when someone gets a promotion, when someone grows, when someone is just... Uh, excited and growing in their walk with Christ. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Be happy when people are blessed. Share in their happiness and in their joy. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And mourn with those who mourn. When people are sharing with you just some difficulties in their life, are, will you come alongside of them? Does it grieve you? Are, are you frustrated when people are having to go through difficult circumstances? And are you praying for them? And are you reaching out for them? Lord, help us. To really rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. Verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not, do not, do not. Lord, um, I ask you to forgive us. I don't know what we have. 1,100 denominations in Christianity. Lord, we don't live in, in harmony very well. I don't know if y'all know this, but there's not going to be any denomination in heaven. Jesus is not going to separate us out and say, okay, I want the Baptists over here. I got the Catholics over here. 
Um, I got the Methodists over here. I got the Episcopalians over here. I got the Church of God over here. Um, it's not going to work that way. Okay. We're one body of Christ. We're one body. We want to live in harmony with one another. In order to do that, we're, we're going to have to start overlooking offenses more. In Christianity, it's been said, and it's true, we, we, we have to agree on the essentials, and we can agree to disagree on the non-essentials. And the Bible tells us clearly what that is. Jesus Christ is the only way to have your sins forgiven, the only way to go to heaven. The Bible makes it clear that without Jesus Christ, no one will see heaven and unfortunately, the Bible makes it clear that the only other place is hell. So if you don't know Jesus today, if you're not sure that Jesus is living in your heart, just, just stop the tape and say, Lord Jesus, I confess I'm a sinful person. And I confess that I need you, Jesus. I, I ask you now to be the Lord of my life. I ask you, Jesus, to save me from my sin. I ask you to come into my heart, Lord. And I ask you to bring me to heaven when I die. Jesus, I'm putting all my faith and all my trust and confidence in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. Jesus, as the Savior of your life and the Savior of the world and the only Savior and the only hope, is the essential of all the Bible. Okay, And there are other essentials, but that is the pivotal essential. We agree on the essentials. We agree to disagree on the non-essentials. It's essential that there's nothing you can do to work your way to heaven. It's essential that there's nothing you can do to add to what Jesus has done. That's essential. A works, good works do not take away bad works. As I said in the beginning, we do good because we want to please Jesus. We do it just because it's right. We do it because we're going to discipline ourselves to do it, but we don't do it to be saved. Our sins can only be taken away at the cross of Christ. Live in harmony with one another. Agree on the essentials. And on the non-essentials, if we just have to disagree, we agree to disagree. Live in harmony with one another. Harmony. That's a, that's a musical term, isn't it, May? Harmony. What is the harmony in something? I don't know. My wife is a... Uh, is, is, a, is a worship leader, and uh, she's a, uh, a very gifted one, and, and I don't even know what the harmony is. What's the harmony, y'all? I'm around worship people everywhere. There's a part of the song that's harmony, right? Live in harmony. Harmony. Um, I don't know what the harmony is. Do not be proud. Lord, we need help. We are a prideful people in a prideful church. Uh, Lord, it tells us not to be proud. Uh, you know, Lord, I just I ask you to help us just to lay down our pride. But be willing to associate with people of low position. Again, most of the people listening to this, you know, it, you know, you have a pretty good station in life. You have a pretty good position in life. Most people don't have it as good as you do. So be willing to associate with them. You're not above. Uh, most people today and even most Christians are always looking to associate with people of a higher status or a higher position. That wasn't Jesus. You be ones that are consistently willing to, to associate people of any position, but a particularly a low position, Paul says, right? We, we like to live in, in our circle, so to speak, but be willing to go lower than your circle and to be a blessing to those who don't have the same status in work or in life as you do. Do not be conceited. 
None of us are better than anyone else. None of us. We are all equal at the foot of the cross, sinners who need Jesus as our Savior. Do not be conceited in anything, in any way that we think we're better than others just because you're you or I'm me. We just need to repent. Lord, forgive us the conceit in our lives. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. The single most aspect, the most important virtue of your Christian life is to be forgiving. Never does the Bible tell us that our Heavenly Father will discipline us, will punish us more than when we walk in unforgiveness. No matter what's been done to us in any manner, in any way, we are called to be forgiving. Truly forgiving out of our heart. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you need to pray and ask Jesus, Lord, help me to be forgiving. Truly forgiving. And the, and the obvious reason for that, and the Bible makes this clear, is we have been forgiven a debt. The debt of our sin is so big, so overwhelming. And that debt was forgiven us when we put our full trust and faith in Jesus. And when we asked Jesus to come into our heart and be the Lord of our life, we were forgiven all of our sin, past, present, and future. And, and, and it's too big to be measured. The weight of that is something we, we will never comprehend. The things that are done to us, the wrong things that are done to us, cannot be compared to what we have been forgiven at the cross. It's like comparing a dollar to a billion dollars. So whatever the wrong is done to us, and there's been some terrible wrongs done to all of us, and mind you, we've done terrible wrongs as well. Oftentimes, the hardest part about us forgiving is we don't realize how bad we really are, right? If at any point you're having trouble forgiving someone about anything, it's because you haven't, don't have an understanding of how, of how sinful that you really are and really have been and can be. It's about perspective. And in this perspective, forgiveness needs to be the number one aspect of your life because you and I have been forgiven so, so much. Jesus, help us to not repay anyone evil for evil, Lord. Help us to be a blessing, Lord. And help us to be a forgiving church. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Again, we just want to do what's right. We want to have a lifestyle of thinking about what's right so we can do what's right simply because it's right. We do it in the eyes of everybody. We don't do it to show off, but we just want to have a heart to do what's right so we can be attractive, right? When people see you do what's right, they're going to be more attracted to Jesus Christ. Verse 18, and we're about to Finish up. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You should be at peace with everyone. You should have forgiven everyone. You should have no animosity in your heart toward anyone. And I'm not saying this is easy. I am not saying this is easy. We need Jesus to help us. But you want to live at peace with everyone. If we've offended anyone, we say, listen, I'm sorry. I ask you to forgive me. You want to be at peace with everyone. He says, if it's possible, regrettably, there are people who don't want to have peace. And if you're one of those people, you want to repent. If I'm one of those people, I want to repent. If you don't want to be at peace with someone, it's sinful. 
Because this says, as far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on me, we want to be at peace with everyone. Verse 19, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 20, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. We cannot take revenge properly. We're told not to take revenge. Don't return evil for evil. We can't do it with the right heart. It says, leave room for God's wrath. Okay. If you take revenge or I take revenge, we will absolutely do it in a sinful way. Man's wrath or woman's wrath, it's never handled properly. It's always handled sinfully. James tells us man's anger does not bring, bring about the righteous life God requires. When we're angry and we're lashing out in that anger, it, it's always sinful. Okay. Somebody will say to me, Jesus got angry. Yes. If you only knew how many times people told me this. You know, the only time that Jesus got angry, the only time is when others were being taken advantage of and that in the name of God. Then he would get angry. Never when his person was persecuted did he get angry. Think about that. So, if something's being wrong to us, or a wrong is done to us, we don't, we don't take revenge. We, we leave that to the Lord. We say, Father, we give it to you. All right? and, then he, and, then he, and then he tells us, by, by doing this, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. Be a blessing to those who've done you wrong. They're thirsty. Give them something to drink. Help them out. And you know, when you do this, it says you heap burning coals on their head. Their conscience will be convicted. Golly, I've wronged this lady or this man. I've spoken poorly about them. I've, uh, I've taken from them consistently and never given. And yet, uh, they've always been a blessing to me. And they'll be convicted. And you'll never know. That conviction could lead to them coming to Christ if they don't know him. That can lead to them repenting in Jesus. And finally, he'll sum it all up in verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Again, when evil is done to us, we can just get so angry, so bitter, so frustrated. Think about it. If you think about some past wrong done to you or how you were slighted or mistreated in the past, you can work yourself up in five minutes and you can, you can get so mad and it could have happened 10 years ago, right? Don't be overcome by evil. When you see evil, don't, don't be overcome by it. Don't want to lash out, but overcome evil with good. In any situation where you see evil, just look to smother it with good, right? Look to offset it with good. Father, we just thank you for the word of God. We thank you for this incredible chapter of Romans 12. We thank you for these 23 or so qualities that we are given. And Father, we ask you to help us to live them out. We thank you that, Father, you love us unconditionally no matter what we do. But Father, we ask you to help us to do these things simply because they're right. And they are pleasing to you. Help us to do them out of love for you, Father. Not, not in performance, not in religion, not in legalism, Lord. But Lord, I do ask you to help us to be disciplined disciples of Jesus who really do these things because they're right. And Father, where our heart is wrong, help us to keep doing it. But to repent, Lord, if our motives are wrong or our heart is wrong. And Holy Spirit, I ask you to just show us and to lead us that we might live in these incredible qualities in a more consistent way, in a more intentional way, and indeed in a more fulfilling way. 
that we might know you better, Lord, that we might walk with you more intimately, Lord, that our relationship with you, Lord Jesus, might, might be growing in every way. Father, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. For more information about our ministry, please visit www.kingdomd.org.